Today from Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 16. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Amy. My name is John Forsyth. I'm the vicar at St Jude's, and it's a, a great pleasure to welcome you to our Easter Sunday service here at St Jude's in Parkville. And a very warm welcome to you if you don't normally attend our church. We are delighted that you could be with us, whether you're visiting from another church or whether this is uh, a first time at church. We are delighted that you can be with us on this very special day, of course, the day that we celebrate the fact that our Lord Jesus has risen from the dead. And I thought I'd start tonight by just giving you a bit of advice about how to work out how important or famous you are. Now, there are plenty of options in the online world, on the Facebook or on the WhatsApp, whatever those apps are, and how many likes and followers. In fact, my niece has given me a whole tutorial on how to get the best Insta post and when to post it and what to post it on. And so if that's something that, that you are interested in, chat to me later. I kind of glazed over halfway through it, but if you're a 14-year-old girl, apparently that's important. But there's actually another way you can do, which actually is even more, I think, telling on your genuine importance, not just on a temporary photo. And it's a very simple method. Just find out how popular your tomb is. Now, I do realise that there's a small kind of problem with this. You have to wait till you're dead. But, but trust me, famous people have very popular tombs. No matter what realm you're in, whether you're a rock star or a religious leader or a political uh, uh, giant, millions of people will go to your tomb. Lenin, for example, uh, in a normal year when it's not COVID, between 10 to 15 million people a year will visit. That is extraordinary. He's in a little uh, glass box, by the way. 
Uh, you can visit the, clay, the cave of the patriarchs where Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca and Leah are buried. Once again, tens of thousands of people visit that tomb every year or normally. The prophet of the mosque, al-Masjid, al-Nahabwi, where Muhammad is buried, has a capacity, his tomb, uh, not in the actual tomb, but around the tomb, uh, of one million people, which goes to show you how popular it is with people coming to show their respects to this man who died. You can visit the temple of the sacred tooth relic of Buddha. Just his tooth alone is popular. Uh, Once again, hundreds of thousands of people. Or there, of course, is the Taj Mahal, one of the most amazing love stories where the emperor Shah Jahan uh, housed the, where his wife died, his, his favourite wife actually, a bit awkward if you were not the favourite wife, uh, his favourite wife was buried in this amazing ornate tomb where he and others could come and remember this person who died. And as you walk through these tombs and places, you'll see holy women and men There'll be teachers and rabbis and imams. There'll be followers and disciples. And there'll be flowers and cards and candles. There'll be memorials and there'll be chanting and there'll be wailing. And millions of people will visit these sites each year. And they'll mourn and they'll weep. And they'll long for their leaders who are now past. And they'll wish they were alive. But all too uh, sadly they are dead. But when it comes to Jesus' tomb, we have something entirely different. Uh, when on that uh, very first Easter morning before dawn, just a handful of women turn up. And they come up, they've actually turned up uh, to do something quite extraordinary. Now, n- normally in Jesus' time, when someone was crucified as Jesus has been, uh, the corpse is usually left on the cross to rot or is thrown into the garbage heap for the scavenging animals to eat. It was a sign of saying, don't do this, or this will happen to you. A very confronting and violent symbol of Rome's oppression. But because Jesus was considered a prophet by many people, a holy man, he gets buried in a tomb rather than being cast on the garbage tip or left on the cross and particularly a tomb who was belonging to a guy called Joseph of Arimathea, who we hear, we read as a good man. And in these opening verses of this chapter of Matthew, we read that on the Sabbath, which is the very first day of the week, so after the Sabbath, on the Sunday, which is the very first day of the week, before dawn, we read of Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, poor other Mary, hasn't got her name mentioned, oh, you're the other Mary, uh, they go to the tomb. Now, it's customary in Judaism for the tomb of a prophet or a holy man to be preserved so it could be venerated as a shrine. So in future years, people could come and show their respect and mourn and wail at this place where the dead body was held of this holy man. And that's what they've come to do. The bones, particularly the bones of this person, gave the site its value. No bones... No value. And we kind of have that idea where people will steal bones and take parts of of saints to other places so they can be venerated. And of course, that means the other way around too. If there are no bones, if there are no remains, it just is a hole in the ground. It's not really a place of veneration or worship or a shrine. And so these women have come to begin this process, to anoint the body, to prepare the body. 
so that for generations to come, people could come and mourn and reflect upon this man, Jesus, who promised so much, yet came to an abrupt end at age 33. But of course, we don't have a tomb like this for Jesus, do we? Crowds don't flock there to mourn a dead body. They don't mourn and weep. In fact, we're not entirely sure where Jesus' tomb is. We've got got a few ideas if you've been to Jerusalem, but we're not entirely sure. And the problem is, of course, the tomb is empty. There's nothing in the tomb, so it's hard to know which tomb was which. You see, as we go through the historical account of what happened on that very first Easter morning, something truly astonishing happens. We're picking up the story in verse 2. First of all, there is a violent earthquake. Something huge is happening here. We read the reason why. It says, For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone, a huge stone, and he sat on the stone. And by the way, if you ever thought angels were those cute, fat babies with wings, you know, that kind of the picture of, of, of angels? Fraud. That is false news. Fake news. This is what angels look like. His appearance is like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. And so in verse 4, unsurprisingly, the guards are so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. In other words, meeting an angel isn't that kind of wonderful, happy, oh, I met an angel today. No, you'll be so terrified that you'll think you were dead. That is the response of meeting an angel. And these brave women, unlike the soldiers who fall down as dead, are there. And the angels say what every single angel says in scripture after they've met somebody, which is, do not be afraid. Right? Who, who are they kidding? <laughs> Terrifying man, lightning, story. Earthquake, And you're saying, oh, look, don't be afraid. That should be on their business card, right? Angel of the Lord, don't be afraid. And he says, look, I know what you're here for. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. You are looking for a corpse. You are looking for a dead body. In fact, they've come to the tomb not knowing how they're going to open the tomb, by the way. And then the angel says something extraordinary. He says, He is not here. Has the body been moved? No, he has risen, just as he said he would. Come, see the place where he lay. The angel says, come and look. That's where he was, and now it's nothing. It's empty. Quick, go tell the disciples. Look, he's risen from the dead. He's going ahead of you uh, to Galilee, and there you will see him with your own eyes now go as I've told you. So he's, they're told he's not, alive, he's, he's not dead, he's alive, and that they will somehow come face to face with this risen Lord. And this is at the heart of the Easter story. Because who is in Lenin's tomb? Lenin, right? That's not a trick, not a trick question, right? They didn't swap out something. Who's in Abraham's tomb? Abraham, right? We're getting the idea. Who's in Buddha's tomb? Well, his tooth at least. Uh, Who's in Muhammad's tomb? Muhammad's in Muhammad's tomb. But who is in Jesus' tomb? And the answer is nobody. Nobody. Jesus is risen from the dead. And this makes all the difference. This is why Christians meet on Sunday. We celebrate this fact every week. And particularly today, we celebrate 
Death is conquered. Sin is defeated. Satan is defeated. The wrath of God is lifted. We are, as we sang in our very first song, people of the risen king. We are a resurrection people. And that's what we're celebrating this evening. The most momentous event in the history of humanity. You see, the centre of Christianity is actually not a place or a moment. The centre of Christianity is the Lord Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And without the resurrection of Jesus, by the way, Christianity ceases to be anything other than a bunch of baloney. The resurrection of Jesus makes the crucial difference. In fact, before Jesus, the only people who believed in resurrection in any way, shape or form were the Jewish people. They'd read the Old Testament and they knew that they were waiting for a Messiah who would bring in God's kingdom. At the end time, when that was all complete, there would be a resurrection. Outside of Judaism, there were two general worldviews. One was, as many people believe today, when you die, that's it, you become worm food. That's it, cease to exist. Other people believed in the philosophy of the Greeks that there's no concept of a physical resurrection, but much closer to what people believe as the idea of a soul going to heaven. This is because of the influence of the ideas of Plato, which are really influential, interestingly, very strongly today. This is the idea that, that your humanity consists of two parts. There's a physicality, which generally is bad, and the spirit, which is generally good the material and the immaterial. And in the perfect world of spirituality or the netherworld, we would leave our physical bodies with all their failings and brokenness. And that was the great goal of Greek mythology. And of course, that has become the modern version, the kind of Greek dualism 2.0. Your soul goes to heaven and it leaves the body behind. But friends, that, that is not biblical Christianity. See, Christianity is not a system of philosophy it's a historical fact. It's not based on a place. It is based on a person. It's not a mere ideology. It's about an event. It's about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus who, was, who lived and died has been raised again. And this resurrection makes all the difference because no one worships a corpse. Look at verse 8. If you have your Bible, we have it magically appearing behind me sometimes. Sorry, Peggy, I've made you run back to the, the teleprompter as quick as you can. Um, the women who are, you know, they must have just been shocked. That They hurry away from the tomb. And I love this phrase. They are what? They're afraid, yet filled with joy. Afraid, yet filled with joy. Is that not the best expression on that first Easter morn? They've, they've come in sadness and in grief and they're transformed. They're terrified still, but yet they're overjoyed. Is Jesus truly alive? And so they run to tell the disciples. And then as they're running, bang, they see a familiar face. And Jesus just said to them, it's quite amusing, greetings. <laughs> it's kind of a bit of a, whoa, a bit of a surprise. Greetings. And they can, they can barely know what to say. And so what they do is they clasp his feet the feet that, that bore the scars of the crucifixion. Is, is that really you, Jesus? They physically touch him and they worship him. That, that's all they can do. That, that in their fear and their joy, they fall down and worship and touch the risen Lord Jesus because you don't 
worship a corpse. You worship the true and living God. See, friends, there's no need for us to go to the tomb because these brave women have done it for us already. They've gone, and guess what? It was empty. And like these amazing women, we too are called to worship the living Lord Jesus, the Son of God. And that is why we rejoice. We rejoice this evening because the tomb is empty. We don't mourn and lament because the tomb is still there, filled with the body of Jesus. No, we rejoice because the tomb is empty. Both afraid and rejoicing. And I want to kind of tease out that rejoicing in four different ways. Well, why do we rejoice? Well, not just that Jesus is alive, which is truly astonishing. But four things. Firstly, we rejoice because it means Jesus' resurrection means that our sins are forgiven. His resurrection means that, he, that our sins are forgiven. In other words, Jesus' work as our saviour is complete. Uh, Paul, who also had an amazing experience with the risen Lord Jesus, uh, in a somewhat different context a bit later on, he says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 17, he says, look, if Christ has not been raised, in other words, if Easter didn't happen, your faith is futile. Your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Or to put it kind of the other way around, uh, because of the resurrection, your faith is not futile and you are not in your sins. To be a resurrection people is to be a forgiven people. To be a forgiven people is to be a resurrection people. Our sins are not held against us. Everything hangs on this. But how is the resurrection connected to our forgiveness? Isn't it the death of Jesus that takes away our sin? Because he bore our sins and took on our judgment. And the answer is, of course, yes. Absolutely. Christ died for our sins. But there is also a very important, crucial connection to Jesus' resurrection as well. Uh, Paul, in, in Romans 4, puts it this way. He says, look, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification." Now, what this means is that by his death, yes, Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins. Our rebellion against God, the cost of that, is all paid by Christ on the cross. He has purchased our forgiveness. But what Paul is saying here is, since the achievement of the cross is so complete and so perfect and so final, and that you and I are right in God's eyes so decisively... Jesus is raised from the dead as a validation of our forgiveness. It's proof that it worked. It's the evidence that you are forgiven. Now, you might not find this particularly hard to believe that I am the dumbest member of my family. Thanks for laughing, Jen. (laughs) Let me give you some validation of that fact. Uh, I graduated my arts degree while still in the bar at university. I don't mean the law bar, I mean the bar where you have a beer. I'd totally forgotten that I was graduating because I was doing another degree. I wasn't getting an award or anything. I just, oh, that's right, that was today. Uh, Not the smartest thing to do, to miss your entire graduation. Apparently, they even read my name out and there was an awkward pause. (laughs) Didn't bother me, I wasn't there. Uh, Both my sisters 
graduated first in their university degrees. That is, for, uh, the university medal first class honours. Uh, my brother didn't even finish university because he went and started his own company. See, that is the validation that I am the dumbest member of my family. My siblings are smart. And that is what resurrection does. It is the proof for you for certain that your sins are forgiven. Christ came to die for your sins, to defeat death. And the proof is he's been raised to life again. So you can know for certain. Think about it the other way. How would you know that your sins were forgiven if Christ died and was still in the tomb? What, what evidence would there be that this person, as opposed to Jesus Christ, as opposed to somebody else dying? What, how would you know which person was right? Which person to trust your life with? And the answer is, well, if, if one's come back from the dead, well, that's, that's an extraordinary validation of what he came to, to achieve. And so we can know for certain. So no matter who you are, whether you are, are struggling with a burden that, that you think is too great, may Easter be the day that you can rejoice in the fact that whatever that sin is, Christ has died for it and Christ has been raised for it. You are a resurrection people. You are no longer in your sins. Today is the day. It's the proof. You're forgiven. So start acting like it. Hand over that burden to our risen Lord Jesus Christ. What a great thing to rejoice in. So firstly, we are rejoicing in the fact that Christ's work in forgiving our sins is complete. Secondly, uh, this is the kind of really obvious one, the resurrection gives us hope that death has been defeated. Death has been defeated. Death, of course, is the ultimate destroyer of relationships. When people die, even the language we use kind of echoes that truth. We speak of saying that we've lost somebody, that somebody has gone, that somebody is no longer with us. In other words, there has been something deeply broken and ripped apart from us when somebody dies. And no matter how much we fight it, it is not something that we can defeat by ourselves. I've sat with people in their last moments. I've seen the look of anguish on families' faces as they plead with the person to keep fighting, as the doctors and nurses do an extraordinary thing to keep them alive. But the reality is each and every one of us will face that moment. See, friends, there is a longing in the human heart for eternity. But because of sin death would seemingly, seemingly have the last say. But the great news, friends, the great news of the resurrection of Easter is that death actually doesn't win. Death is not the full stop at the end of a life. The resurrection of Jesus is actually a victory over death. Death lies broken on, in pieces on the floor, never to hold such power again. See, Jesus didn't kind of, kind of escape death in the way that, you know, I know that insect goes into a spider web and you're kind of torn between wanting to see nature take its course and rescue the poor bug. If it's a mosquito, probably less so, right? But it's not as if Jesus was kind of in, in the spider web of death and managed to escape just in time before the big spider of death came. No, no, Jesus came through and actually destroyed the entire spider web. 
It is no longer our destiny. Jesus' resurrection is the guarantee that you and I will also be raised from the dead. That our loved ones will be raised from the dead. That as sad as death is, and friends, it is terribly, terribly sad. And it is something that we grieve and mourn, but we never grieve and mourn without hope. It gives us a real and powerful hope. And his resurrection is the guarantee of ours. Now, moving to Melbourne, one thing I've discovered is the finickiness of Melbourne weather. Ho, 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 ho. Easy, easy thing to say, right? And I, I enjoy cycling to and from work. But one thing I've noticed is uh, just because it wasn't raining in the morning is no guarantee that it won't be bucketing down by the time I want to come home. And often when I'm riding home, I'll notice I'm cycling along and there's a cloud. Well, it's Melbourne, so there's always a cloud somewhere. Uh, and there'll be this big drop. And I think, great. Because you know that once that first drop hits, the guarantee is it's got a lot of friends coming after it. <laughs> and I've left my raincoat at home. And friends, that's what Jesus' resurrection is. It's that first drop. It says, guess what, friends? There's more to come. There's more to come. Rejoice because Jesus' resurrection gives us the astonishing hope that death has been defeated. Thirdly, and this is one I didn't uh, share this morning because the morning congregation, we had to push a bit more for time. So sorry, Mike, I'm going to steal two more minutes for five o'clock. But, you know, these are the, they're more awake than they were this morning. There's children. Uh, we can rejoice because the resurrection, is tied into the previous point, actually means that glory awaits us. Glory awaits us. And what I mean by this is Jesus' resurrection gives our lives fulfilment and meaning, not just when we die, but actually right now. It makes our lives valuable. It shows us how valuable our lives are, how significant our lives are. See, if Jesus was not raised, then living for Jesus, for following what he, what he says to do, is a great delusion. And we will be pitied, as uh, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, as someone who's kind of following their imaginary friend who had some good ideas but didn't end well. But friends, if the Lord Jesus has been raised and is the ruling king over the universe, then following him... Having obedient hearts, hearts full of love, hearts full of selfless sacrifice, it is not something that's to be pitied, but something to be rejoiced in and indeed to be glorified in. We are following the king of the universe. When we meet together, when we love each other, when we bear each other's burdens, when we forgive each other's failings, when we serve each other selflessly, that, that's following our resurrected king. And those things have immense value. Paul, who obviously knows this well, he says in 2 Corinthians 4, look, this slight momentarily affliction is working for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. And that's why Paul actually says Christians are to be envied. The eternal weight of glory beyond comparison awaits each and every one of us. What an extraordinary thing. Because I think everyone wants their lives to mean something, to, to have significance, not just to be a useless dead end. So we come to the end of our days and say, well, that was a waste of time. But without the Lord Jesus in the picture, that's 
that's sadly where our, where our world ends up. Richard Dawkins himself argues this case. He says, look, the universe we observe has the precise properties that we should expect if there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind pitilessness, indifference, DNA that neither knows nor cares. Not really a greeting card, is it? But that's the reality without the Lord Jesus. But the Bible offers us an extraordinarily different and, dare I say, rejoicing worldview. 1 Corinthians 15, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. It's not pitiless or indifferent or without purpose. It has purpose into eternity. It has value forever. See, friends, Jesus is risen from the dead and everything done in his name is not in vain and not just merely significant, but eternally valuable. So when you care for somebody, when you love somebody, when you forgive somebody, they're not just temporary things, they have echoes into eternity. What an extraordinary blessing. What a great thing to rejoice Rejoice because the resurrection means our lives have this eternal glory shaped into them. And fourthly and finally, the resurrection tells us that Jesus is ultimately trustworthy beyond anyone else. Or to put it more personally, because of the resurrection of Jesus, there is somebody that you can trust absolutely with the most valuable thing you have. So I think most people long to have that person or thing that, that they can entrust their lives to through thick and thin. Someone or something reliable, trustworthy, who's not a waste of time, who will always have their back. And I think the longing in our federal and state politics shows you that that's not always there. But we long it to be there. We're looking for it. And behind that sits the idea of trust. And trust is foundational to all relationships, which is why a breach of trust is so damaging in any relationship. A lack of trust, yes, white ants, any relationship. And this longing for a trustworthy relationship is actually ultimately fulfilled in the resurrected Jesus. For he is the one for whom, through whom the entire universe has been created... And sustained, that's a pretty good start, right? He has power and authority, but also he is the one who has died for us and redeemed us. Extraordinary love. Extraordinary power. Extraordinary love. But also has defeated death, our biggest enemy. See, Jesus is someone that you can count on absolutely. He never lets you down. Never gives you up, never walks away. Can see Rick rolling people in the sermon. There you go, you've been Rick rolled. But that's the Lord Jesus, as funny as that is. The teenagers this morning loved that bit, they thought it was hilarious. Um, he is the one that you can entrust not just your life with, but your death with. Isn't that interesting? Who could you entrust not just your life, but your death with? And it's the one who's been there before, who has paid the price for your sins who has defeated death. There is nobody more trustworthy. Rejoice, 
Because of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, we have someone that we can entrust not just our life, but our death to. See, friends, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is the event that changes this world. It shouts to the world, Jesus is not here, he is risen. It shouts that in Jesus we have the one who has forgiven every sin, every failing. We have the risen, all-sufficient forgiver. And in Jesus we have the risen Lord who is astonishingly and completely reliable and trustworthy. In Jesus we have an everlasting joy that will not be ended in death. See, friends, the resurrection of Jesus makes the crucial difference because it changes everything. That's something worth celebrating. During the Festival of Dangerous Ideas, that's a great name for a festival, isn't it? I feel like you should fill out a risk assessment form just going to it. Festival of Dangerous Ideas, which was run uh, uh, more broadly around Australia, and the ABC and the Q&A program used that as well, and they had a group of panellists who were in, and they asked them the question, which idea has the greatest potential to change the world for the better? It's a pretty, it's a pretty bold question, isn't it? What dangerous idea has the greatest potential to change the world for the better? And one of the panellists was a guy called Peter Hitchens. Now, Peter Hitchens is Christopher Hitchens' brother. Christopher Hitchens is uh, one of the, the atheists, the hardcore atheists. He's his brother. And he said this, The most dangerous idea in human history and philosophy remains the belief that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and rose from the dead. And that is the most dangerous idea that you will ever encounter. Who thought going to church would be so terrifying, right? Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. Why is it a dangerous idea? Well, he goes on to say, he says, because it alters the whole of human behaviour and all of our responsibilities. It turns the universe from a meaningless chaos into a designed place in which there is justice and there is hope. And therefore, we all have a duty to discover the nature of that justice and work towards that hope. It alters us all. See, friends, we are here to celebrate the most dangerous idea. Isn't that a cool thing to share at work this weekend? I was catching up with some friends where we shared the most dangerous idea. If that's not a good gospel conversation, I don't know what is. And so if you already are a follower of Jesus, be encouraged. Be like those brave women who worshipped the living Lord Jesus and boldly proclaim this dangerous idea. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, but you've come along because maybe your friends dragged you along or you're interested to find, can I say, look, investigate this dangerous idea. Because it does change everything. Rejoice and worship this living Lord Jesus. Let me pray that we will do that, particularly on this Easter Sunday. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great joy that we can gather on this particular Sunday to rejoice that the tomb is empty. 
that Christ has been risen from the dead, that our sins are forgiven, that death is defeated, that glory awaits, and that we can trust our life and indeed our death to to the risen Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for these brave women on that first Easter morning who went with humble hearts to prepare a body but instead met you and both afraid and rejoicing went to tell others about it. May we emulate their wonderful model of ministry and proclaim the risen Lord Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and respond with worship and prayer.